Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast. This episode is uh, number two, and it's uh, appropriately named Where to Start. Uh, In this episode, we're going to be talking about just that, where to start, but more from a technical perspective rather than the business side of things. We'll probably have a more business-centric episode in the future. Um, But as always, um, I'm joined by my co-host, Mike. How's it going? Hello. Hello. Uh, and so we'll be going through today, we'll be going through a bunch of, uh, like languages and libraries and tools and everything else. Like if you read anything on, on any sort of web design, like Reddit or news or anything, you can see just a, just a ton of tools and a ton of everything that's coming out all the time and people saying, oh, this is broken. This is not, this is whatever. Um, so we're going to be going through all of that and like kind of kick her off, but, uh, we have five segments or six segments actually in the show. We have a special segment at the end, our five segments in the beginning, plus our bonus segment. Number one is going to be Mike's, uh, Mike's beginnings. Number two is going to be my beginnings. Number three is going to be libraries and frameworks. Number four is going to be, uh, when to choose a pre-made solution uh, and number five, well, I guess there's only five. Number five is going to be web news. Uh, and that's going to be, we're going to try to coin a better term than that, but we're going to do uh, a little segment piece on that. And we'll probably talk about that when we get there. Um, but I think we should kick things off right away and let's start with, uh, Mike's beginnings. So go ahead, Mike, and tell us how you got started, uh, in this field. Okay. Well, um, I think like most people, I uh, started in high school a little bit. Uh, so we had a business class in high school and that pretty much just taught us very simple HTML, uh, barely any CSS. And that was it for high school. Unfortunately for us, we had kind of a poor tech program. Uh, our one software class that we had in high school just ended up being a bunch of people landing their computers together and playing games. And (laughs) I just, I had other courses to take during that time, so I couldn't take it anyway. Um, the other thing, actually, I don't know if people remember this, but uh, GeoCities. So those the free web pages you could create on GeoCities was kind of like a website builder. That was, um, I think that might have been before high school. And that was kind of like my first foray into creating something and seeing it live on the web, which was cool for me. Uh, so, yeah, that after that, I went into uh, college with Matt. So we took this internet tech course that we talked about in the previous podcast, actually. Uh, again, really simple uh, start with HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript. Not not really much sustenance in that course as well. It gave us a good base, but nothing else. Um, and really, we were focusing on IT at that point, so I wasn't even thinking about web design. I think w- what really started my technical progression was our first large work project. Uh, so when we got... a a client that needed a page of like approximately 15, maybe even 20 pages. Um, we kind of had to do everything from scratch because we didn't know what we were doing due to only having one course in college. And we came up with a quote and uh, eventually the client chose to do it with the template because it was going to be a little bit faster. He needed it. What was it? Like we, we thought we could do it in like a couple months and the client's like, no, we need it like two weeks. So we're like, okay, let's get this, uh, let's get this template and speed things up. And unfortunately, the template actually made it harder for us uh, because it wasn't a very good and it wasn't too modifiable. And due to the client's requirements, we had to really go in and rewrite a lot of the template code and uh, write pages from scratch. And it was it was a little bit difficult 
because of that um make it responsive as well it was responsive but as soon as you start modifying anything i think most people know with templates and frameworks that responsivity comes as a problem with that kind of stuff uh so later on once we actually made that site and the client liked it a couple like a month goes by and they're like you know what we need to edit this ourselves and we kind of went to them we're like listen we have a contract with you guys we told you that we're not going to be able to for the money you that you paid you're not going to be able to edit it yourself you're not going to it's not a cms and they're like well we need to edit it ourselves so we have to make up a whole other frame like a, a whole other contract and upgrade the site which kind of got us into a cms framework um that we'll talk about later it's called couch but it's it's pretty cool for actually making a static web page into a customizable web page uh so we had a lot of experience with that right off the bat and considering it was like a 15 20 page site at that point with constantly being updated almost daily with new information news and um and other industry requirements uh so that was that was kind of the start of our web i would say my web development uh side and then i we moved on to doing projects uh together with matt for digital dynasty which started with a just a regular Chrome extension. Uh, we did a thing. We did a program called uh, List by Design, which was really just a bookmarks organizer, and you could save um, your bookmarks into different lists and reorganize those lists and uh, add notes to your to each uh, to each link. Add like a price even, so you can make a shopping list with pricing. Uh, so it, there was a lot there, and since we were doing Chrome applications and we we're just starting out, it was just in pure JavaScript. So I had to learn how to like programmatically reorder list elements in pure JavaScript. You know, create element, remove elements, like document with document uh, involved, and I had to learn how to save. Uh, this was through the Chrome APIs, but still, like it was very similar to local storage. Actually, much more difficult because I don't know if anyone's programmed in Chrome before, but uh, for Chrome apps, you it's asynchronous saving and asynchronous loading, which asynchronous anything puts a lot of complications on on a project. So you have to get callbacks. So I had to learn callbacks really quick. Um, so really, that was a big, big foyer into JavaScript for me. And I think we released it and it was successful. There was no glitches as far as we could tell. And the people using it seemed fine with it, which is great. Great for confidence boost, at least. Um so after that, we went into a game for Chrome, for Chrome, a, a Chrome app application game, which was like Idle Clicker. So just like kind of like a cookie clickers, kind of game like that. It was called Clicks to Riches. It's still available. Actually, we made it free now on the App Store. We can link it below uh, in the in the, the notes. Uh, so pretty much that got me into timing because a lot of it was, you know, active timing so while the person's there you're making a bunch of money depending on all the all the different modifiers and when you close the application you have to record when the application closed when an application opens do a calculation how much did he have how much does he have now pop up a message so it was a lot of uh, a lot of timing code uh which was really interesting for me at the time and uh, as well as working with a graphical user interface uh so you had to up, like modifying updates since it was a single page app uh that was another first foray into a single page application with a lot of moving parts um we were working with a designer at that time which was also an interesting interesting combination so that was really my my base so these projects were my base for learning how to code uh as it went forward we got new clients and it kept going but really before like 
up to that point, that's when I got the confidence and moved forward with uh, keep going into the backend development as as I'm more especially known for now. And I think I think the one thing that you mentioned there is is especially important um, when when I believe it was our literally our first client when when our first client decided that they you know they had changed vision and they wanted you know their site from static to dynamic. I think it's I think it's really important for people to realize that. I guess that'd be more of a business point. But when you make a project, if you are making it such that it's so it's so one way, so it's so static that making it dynamic is totally out of the question, then maybe you should be looking for something else that could make it make it more flexible in the future. Like obviously it will still require a technical change like what we had to do. But it's not like we made it in, I don't know, some sort of program, like some sort of service that was offered. And right, then they're right. like, you're, they're like, hey, we want a CMS. And it's like, oh, we have it on this site builder and we can't do that. You know what I mean? So ours was open enough that, you know, we could look for a solution. And I mean, you also mentioned it was quite difficult, but that yeah. was our first, our first fo- or one of our first anyway. I can't remember which, if it was the first, but one of our first foyers into this market in general. So yeah. it is kind of standard, standard practice, I would say, to try to get like stumped. But like again, you just kind of prevail. You just kind of go through it and you kind of figure it out. And that's uh, and we did. So yeah, we did. And I like uh, we we might have made a mistake in choosing to do it static off the start, but we did offer a CMS to them, and they just it was cost prohibitive at the time. Later on, they had to pay even more than they would have had to pay if we were designing a CMS at the start. So again, it was it was almost a mistake on both the client and our faults and we've learned as we go to be to get better requirements from the client and i think like just knowing what would have had to been updated like i was updating that site twice three times a day sometimes because of how quick that that business was moving um so obviously knowing that i would have to update it three times a day i would have started with the cms and i would have said listen there's no way we can do this as a static site because i would have to you would have to pay me on a retain retainer to just sit there and update it so you live, you learn kind of thing. Absolutely. And, and that's another, I guess, another business point um, would be that we kind of learned like we, it's it's more business and technical, I suppose. It's, it's, you're learning, you're learning a, a template, not a template in terms of like a traditional bootstrap template, but you're learning a template in which how, in how you conduct business, I guess mm-hmm. is the best way to, to, to put it. Mm-hmm. And so like we learned like, Oh, you know, we need to be more um, upcoming in in the beginning, maybe. And we need to maybe push a bit to say, hey, we we really think you should have editable, like an editable thing. We really think you should have a CMS. Yeah. And yeah. We, like, like that, we, that type of thing. we know best most of the time for the client. And we have to we have to do our job to prove to the client why they need to to use the technologies that we offer. And we didn't do that as well at the start and we're getting better at it now. I would say we're still probably not experts at that section, but I think, I think we're moving to that field. Well, one of the, I mean, it's an ever learning experience and like with us only having <laughs> ultimately a few years in the field, mm-hmm. you know, we definitely aren't like the the biggest experts, but this is sort of like what we've learned so far. And you slowly start developing templates for your work. Like, oh, I'm doing you know, this site for this size of business. Therefore, I'm going to do these four things, even without asking. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to like set up HTTPS. I'm going to prepare this. I'm going to prepare that. So you sort of like, as you go through working with, you know, it's usually like 
for us anyway, it's like client size. It's like, are they small business? Are they big? Are they medium? Like, what are they? We decide, oh, okay, you know, these guys will want a really like big uh, project proposal. These guys, you know, maybe the, usually the smaller businesses, they don't want that. They want a wireframe. They don't even want anything else. And they want you just to move on. So that's something to really kind of keep in mind. Yeah. And I think we'll talk about that later in a more business-centered episode, but uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, good, it's good to bring it up now. So I, I think, Matt, I think it's your beginnings now. Yeah, guess, so... Uh, give us an insight into Matt Lawrence. <laughs> um, well, again, uh, sort of very similar to you, uh, I had a very brief, very brief education in uh, high school in web development, uh, I believe. I don't, I don't even think we were using CSS, or if we did, it was very, very small, and we were only using HTML for the most part. And we were even using things like HTML marquees. And that was like our animation. Mm -hmm. So as old as that is, like web devs today probably don't even know about web web marquee or HTML marquees. But that's like that's like your text scrolling across the screen. And that was like big that was big money. It was like, oh man, like my banner has moving text uh back then. So that that, they're dating myself a little bit. But um I uh basically from there I went to like like you said, the college the college uh, program, the, uh, the web tech and, uh, we, you know, HTML, CSS. We also did MySQL. I don't know if you mentioned that we also did MySQL, and I would say that the MySQL was actually okay because I mean, we mentioned in the previous episode, but we had some server admin courses that kind of reinforced that part, but the HTML and CSS was definitely, it was a one course. So it was kind of lacking just because it was only one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- so that's kind of the formal training. And then we, we kind of just threw, like, got thrown into it. So in one of our first projects as well, and this is a different one, um, we, we had to work with Dreamweaver and we mentioned this in the previous episode and it was like really, really kind of hectic. And I kind of, from there, I just started learning uh, user interfaces, like, like, especially since Dreamweaver is a visual tool. I just sort of started using uh, user interfaces and started trying to like understand them and understand, oh, at this resolution, the nav bar becomes like a, a Navicon or a hamburger menu. And like mm-hmm. I started understanding that type of that type of stuff. And I really focused on it because I realized, hey, like if we want to do anything, we need a way to display it. And if we want a website, people always think, oh, I want to see the website. They don't go to a developer and go, Hey, can you make me an algorithm and then show me the code? And so my kind of mentality was since you were going more backend, it was like, well, okay, this is kind of a no brainer. I should go more user interface because I'm interested in it anyway. Hmm. And I should really kind of focus on that. And one of the things that we focused, that I focused on was just trying to learn the, the, the web flow. Like there's like a way that like there's a way that the page kind of flows. It's kind of hard to understand, but it, it's, it, I guess a lot of times it's described as document flow. There may be a technical term for it that I'm unaware of. And so like, I just kind of kept like beating the crap out of it. And what I ended up focusing on was nav bars. So I threw myself into nav bars because they're rather complex. Like if you think about it um, in terms of a user interface, the first thing you see on most pages is like the banner up the top. And then that either includes the nav bar or the nav bar is right below it. Mm-hmm. And the nav bar is quite complex as it changes types and it'll go to a list and it'll be vertical, horizontal. And so I really kind of focused on that. And that was kind of how I just like hit the ground running. And I did those in plain HTML, CSS and JS when needed. And I just kind of hit the ground running and kept like beating, 
uh, nav bars into the ground. I don't know if you remember, but a, a couple of our, I'm going to say probably our first five projects, I was just like spending the first three days on the nav bar. Oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> because, because I would just like jump right into it and I really wanted to like make sure it was right. But that ended up being very valuable because I learned like, oh, JS can do this. Oh, I can transition this. This is how to make it disappear at a breakpoint. Mm-hmm. And then those are kind of concepts that are used throughout, you know, designing the pages. Um, and then, so from there, I, I first focused on block model and then we moved to Flexbox and Flexbox was, I'd say we started adopting that more like a year ago ish. Um, cause we've been kind of on like a variety of projects. So we did a lot of block model and we worked on a lot of older sites, which is, I guess, kind of why we focused on block model before mm-hmm. we were on maintaining a lot of older sites. Uh, and then we started moving to Flexbox, and then now we're sort of like fully Flexbox, and then looking to Grid now as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to mention the same thing that you did as well, Google products, so this by design. So one of the things that – one of the challenges was we wanted a material design feel, which is, of course, Google's design system, if you will. And we wanted like that feel, and we had to keep it within HTML, CSS, and JS. I believe pretty much pure all of those to make sure that it worked as an extension nicely. And we, we had the most experience with it at that time. So like that. And so we just kept going through like iteration after iteration. And we had like a group of friends testing uh, our application and just mm-hmm. like kind of giving it to them being like, Hey, well, how is this? Hey, how's this? And if you look, I think we have versions of it saved version. Like I, I I'm going to assume like maybe internally it's like version five is actually the one in production right now. Mm-hmm. Version one through five is like such night and day. Like there was no nav bar, there was no transitions, no nothing. And that's like such a big thing. So I think that's important to mention for a getting started episode is if you don't know what the UI is going to fully look like, or you're kind of like stumbling through it, one of the key things to do is to hit the objective. So it would be like, we need four lists. So I'd make a list switcher, uh, like a UI for that. And then, Mm -hmm. oh, we need like list items. I'd make the list items. We need icons. I'd make the icons. And then slowly, as you kind of go, we sort of started changing it. And this is, we didn't even use a wireframe or a design for list by design. It was just mm-hmm. sort of our foyer into developing for Google products, Google uh, Chrome and Google apps specifically. And then we moved to the our actual Google app, which is out in the store right now, which is Clicks to Riches. And Clicks to Riches, like you said, is our game. And that was kind of an interesting project because we work with an artist on that because it, it is a game. And a lot of the elements weren't, you know, blocks or they weren't just squares or circles or something I could generate in CSS. A lot of them were actual art pieces. So a lot of like I would generate the square and then I'd have to like make the background color this texture, but you'd have to like make sure it fit well and look nice. So that was sort of like an interesting challenge. And I designed the user interface alongside the artist because we did this project in a couple of weeks. So we designed it like right, right, right alongside the artist. And then, so we were like in constant contact uh, in the same office space working with them. And so that was, that was pretty interesting. That's a really interesting experience. And then I guess the, the final Google app that I had uh, in mind was, and I think I made this one myself was uh, multiple accounts for outlook.com. That's out in the app store as well, or in the Chrome, Chrome web store. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, that's a Chrome app as well, but that was just so that you could basically use the web interface for outlook.com, but you could have multiple accounts signed in. And I just kind of, I literally just like spun that up in like a couple afternoons or an afternoon. And, but again, that's a, that's an example of, I never wireframed that. I never did anything. I just, I just kind of grabbed the aesthetic that I wanted that would, that would like look half decent. I knew I wanted to hide things. I knew I wanted everything accessible. And I just, I just 
pounded it out and thought, oh, this is good enough. And I, you know, shipped it and I got a few, I think I got a couple thousand downloads. Um, you could, like, I mean, you could check the numbers there. I'm not sure on them anymore, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, so that was, that was super interesting as well. Um, I think, I think this would be actually a great time to try to sort of uh, transition to the next segment because we're talking so much about pure HTML, JS and, and, and CSS, but we really want to kind of dive into all these libraries and frameworks. So segment three, libraries and frameworks, um, one of the things, it, one of the things that I think you can kind of find challenging when you, if you're, if you're just like looking at, looking through, like I said, the news for on web dev and you're just like, holy God, mm-hmm. there's like Angular, there's this, there's that, there's this project. And then you have all these other threads that pop up on Reddit and stuff where it's like, oh, JavaScript's dead or jQuery's dead or why would you ever use jQuery? Um, mm-hmm. it's, and, and it's, it, even to us, it's very, it's very disheartening. Yeah. And, and aggressive by some people. Extremely aggressive because I remember actually recently, and I don't I don't have a link to it. I just I just saw it in passing, but I remember I went to like a I can't remember if it was a Medium article or a Reddit post, and they were like, "Oh, we have proof that jQuery is dying," and it was like at its very peak. I think it was market share uh, or market use. It was you know I don't know I don't know the number, but like let's say let's just hypothetically say it's at ten percent market use, and that's when it's at its peak, and everyone's loving it, and people are going crazy. It like dropped like something like 0.3% or 1%. And -hmm. people were like, oh, that's it. There there it goes. And it's like, you do remember, you do have to realize that because I think it was measured in amount of jobs that people were looking for. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you have to remember that if positions are being filled, like those positions are now filled. Like, you know what I mean? At some point, the job market will no longer expand for that particular set of skills. And, and, and a small decline does not mean something's going to disappear. Um, yeah, I, uh, and, and, and not worthwhile of learning. Like I would, I, just because it declined, it's not doesn't mean it's not worthwhile learning something. Uh, I think sometimes it is. Like sometimes that's correct. Um, if you're if it's some sort of like abstract framework that you know if only a few people use, but something as big as jQuery or something as big as Node and things that are fairly established and large, there's always value in learning things like that. And uh, I think we'll go into that as well in in one of the ne- later segments, but. Um, Definitely right. Yeah, I think I think we'll probably have probably have like specific episodes, maybe on a particular mm-hmm. set or um, a particular framework, depending on how much content there is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you'll you'll see that all the time, and I think it's important. Uh, another big one is Ruby on Rails. Mm-hmm. Ruby on Rails, I remember, was really big when we first started, yeah. and then recently I went through a Reddit, and everyone's like, "Oh, this is like you know, this is dead." And then somebody was like, well, these two massive applications that you probably don't know are actually Ruby on Rails applications. So, and you guys use these in your projects. Mm-hmm. See what I mean? So, you know, it, it, that is something important. Like, you know, use what you need for your project when you need it. But do be in mind of the market. Just don't go too crazy with it because it is just a very fluctuating, crazy place. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the examples that I have for front end anyway, because I am a front end guy. The ones that I used and have used recently specifically are Bootstrap, of course. Uh, I have used Tailwind CSS a little bit. I've used jQuery and I've used uh, SAS or SASS. And one of the things that I think you have to kind of measure when you're going into uh, a project and you're like, hey, I want to use SAS or hey, I want to use Bootstrap. You know, I think one of the things you need to do is kind of look at the, the pros and cons of each of them. Um, so for example, I'll just kind of go through that list, um, and give like the pros and cons for them. So, you know, SAS, one of the major pros is that you can use variables in CSS. One of the, one of the cons is that it has to be compiled. So if you're a person that needs to just quickly constantly refresh, 
you know, that might be a bit of a problem for you. But if you're okay with having a compiler, you know, you're good to go. And of course, SAS does more than just variables. I'm just saying main, main pro and main con that come to my mind. Uh, Bootstrap. So Bootstrap, for example, is quick and easy to spin up. And it's quick and easy to spin up a UI in there. But I find that sometimes it gets a little messy with the amount of classes that get added, especially on like non-complex sites. Like mm-hmm. if, a, if a site's complex, a site's complex. There's classes and IDs and stuff everywhere. But if you're, if you're going like ham in Bootstrap, you know, sometimes it gets a little bit messy where you're like, display none, display this, display that. And it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit crazy with the classes. Uh, yep. tail, Tailwind CSS, I can't really comment too much on that. I've only used it once or twice. But in my experience, um, I've, it's similar to Bootstrap. So I found it easy to use because I have experience with Bootstrap. So that's just like a, a point of note. Um, and then um, uh, Lightbox as well. Lightbox is a big one. Um, so I use I use a I don't know. I guess it'd be just a plugin. Mm-hmm. So um, and this is this is something else I wanted to touch on. So instead of me just like constantly reinventing the wheel and just and just having a Lightbox be remade, like I'd have to keep making my own Lightbox mechanism. I literally use a plugin called Lightbox, um, and I hope I'm saying this guy's name right. His name is Lakesh Dakar, and though that link will be in the description. And I will, or the show notes at whatever platform you're on. But that, that like, plugin, I use all the time. And and people will, like, I mean, I, have, I haven't been personally shamed for this, but people will, like, shame you being like, why would you use this plugin when, like, you know what I mean? Like, why would you use this plugin when you could just, like, transition something in? And it's like, yes, but if something's lightweight enough, and gets like allows me to like add a couple of things in the into the project like a script or whatever and then just like literally call something sometimes it's easier just to do that so mm-hmm. um and then of course um and of course uh, jquery which um i think i'll actually yet let you cover because i use jquery but not too crazily so i think i'll let you kind of like take over and then we can kind of have a a discussion about the two our two uh, points of view sure uh, yeah, so jQuery is one that I picked up uh, a little bit later uh, for when I was working for a larger client. Um, he just refused to use straight JavaScript, and I had to adapt to using jQuery, which turned out to be great for me as a learning experience. So big big pros of jQuery in, in my eyes are the quick element transversal, so being able to go to children, the child of elements and manipulate them and going to the parents of elements and find using the dot find function that that saved me a lot of time writing js code to do that is possible for sure um maybe even will be performing like perform faster but uh it's just not not smart to do because of how easy jquery is for that Uh, i think reading jquery another another point uh is a lot easier than reading javascript it's just it's more legible uh it it's a little more logical when we're in writing as well so your code then looks cleaner um it the functionality is great so those are the pros that i would say of jquery especially Uh, with ajax not to interrupt but especially with ajax ajax can get pretty pretty messy in in pure js (laughs) for sure yeah yeah the ajax uh xml http requests and all that they can get to be a big pain. Uh, so the the negatives, I would say, is a lot of unnecessary code is imported when you import the jQuery library because you're not going to use all of it. There's no way you will. There's just so much it can do. And uh, not that it adds too, too much to your project, but an, any little bit of code, depending on what your application does, could be a problem. 
the other thing is almost always doing it in JavaScript will be will be faster performance wise than doing it in jQuery. Now we're talking like milliseconds, microseconds, whatever. Again, if you're doing something one million times, that might mean something. Uh, sorting stuff like that, depending on how big your database is, depending on how big your arrays are, you could go the regular JavaScript route, save some time, save some performance. Uh, and another thing is like those fade out animations, the fade in animations. Uh, not great in jQuery. I would definitely recommend just going straight J- JavaScript with. Uh, just doing animations and keyframes. So those are my, those are my thought points on jQuery, but uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk more about jQuery, Matt, or do you want me to go on to, I can go on to the next part. I, I, I would say go on. Like I, I use jQuery, but I mm-hmm. more or less use it as a substitute to JS, which is yeah. kind of why I handed it to you because I'm not going to be that interesting <laughs> of a talker about it. So yeah, yeah, for, for sure. So yeah. So then this, the other stuff that I learned at, along the way is some server functionality with node. Uh, I think it's very key to learn right now. It's, it's very topical. Uh, it, uh, it has great extensibility through packages. Like the NPM package manager is probably one of the best out there right now. Uh, there's a ton of documentation and tutorials on Node, so it's easy to pick up and learn. The this you can get some great REST APIs going. So, for instance, you need something that will spit out a list of menu uh, ingredients for you <clears throat> based on what you ask. So you could send a JSON request to a Node server, write a REST API that parses that request, and then send back the list that you need in JSON as well. Parse it on parse it how you need on your website so you don't have, you don't bog your website down with doing some sort of configuration having massive databases on your website you do all that on your server have the communication going that's it it's fantastic for that i think uh, especially using just the basic framework that you can find out there like a million different tutorials that do like express mongodb passport for user authentication handlebars for a quick uh, templating system it's it's a great framework to learn, I think, right now, and a lot of stuff is based on it. I think React uses uh, Node for a lot of things. Um, so just, just I, I like I like learning technologies that then merge into other technologies as the stack goes up. Um, I think that that's really important. I've always I've always done that. Like I said, with the J, like learning straight JavaScript, then going to jQuery. I think it's important to know what that javascript is doing maybe not every line but you know in in theory that this jquery is not running just that one line no it's going into a library and running like 15 20 lines to do this one thing i think that's important to know so that's why i choose to use this approach uh the next kind of thing that i'm going to look into and i haven't actually looked into it so i don't have too much to say about it is uh, a new framework called Vue.js. so um it's gaining popularity now and it's a direct competitor to react and the reason that I like it more than React, and I've looked into React and I've used a little bit uh, React a little bit, uh, but Vue is very seems very easy to set up and a lot faster to get going with. So React is really extensible and, and has a lot of functionality, but I feel like React's learning curve is a little bit steep, uh, where Vue is a little bit more manageable for a new team to maybe spin it up together and get going on it quicker so not only do you code faster there i was also been told that Vue is faster at actually process processes so your code will perform better um so that's why i want that will probably be my next framework that i'm going to learn uh 
and I would probably recommend everyone else to take a look at it as well that's listening to this podcast because like it's very key to stay on top of the newer frameworks and the popular frameworks that are coming out. Staying on top of all new frameworks, impossible. But staying on top of the ones that are taking off and going with that wave, I think that's a great way to get jobs, to learn new, to learn the best new skills, and to really participate in the programming community. Because you're going to look and see within the next few months, next few years, how many questions on Stack Overflow you'll be able to solve. Uh, how much information you're going to be able to get off youtube for learning more and then maybe give back to that community so it's important to build yourself on a strong community um and i think view is going to be that next strong community if it isn't already considered that by i'm sure a lot of people so i think that's it for my side side of the frameworks and libraries i mean there's there's for sure a lot more that i've used um i think these are the ones that i'm gonna like that i think will benefit everyone and uh, I think everyone should go in and look on their own and find their own frameworks as well at, on top of these and read about them and decide to use them or not. Yeah, that's that's definitely one mm. thing I did want to mention was like like we we're mentioning all these libraries and frameworks but this definitely is not the entire collection and like these are the ones that we're familiar with that, that we really like or um we've recently used. And I think like it's important to note that if you're a person, the reason why we're covering all of this, including the base, is if you're a person who's just tinkering right now with your with your pure HTML, uh, JS, and CSS, you know you're you're fine. You can go do a bunch of projects. You could even go do some work. You know you could be a professional in this industry with that. And then with these, like we you know we list the pros and cons, but these are pros and cons for us. You have to kind of do your pre- your preliminary analysis of your own project that you're diving into and make a decision. Hey, do I want to use Node? Uh, do I not know much backend and want to use Node to learn it? Do I not know much backend and want to stay away from Node? And maybe I want to maybe I want to just use something else. Like uh, maybe I want to use uh, uh, the grid system in Bootstrap. Maybe the grid system in Bootstrap is too is too fixed, and I'll go and I'll use uh, something like. Uh, Tailwind CSS, like I said, I haven't used that much, but like I'll use Tailwind CSS because of one of its pros. Uh, so like th- that's that's kind of what we're trying to get at is it's okay to be sort of in limbo, but you should just sort of be informed about everything and ready to sort of learn about anything. Yes. And I think that I think Mike would agree with this, that having those base pure HTML, JS and CSS skills really allows you to transfer into anything. I learned, yeah. like, and, and I'm not an expert in SAS at all. I have the documentation open at all times, basically. But I learned, like, I, I got SAS up and running, and I got some, I was using it a bit in, like, 20 minutes. Because I was looking at it and be like, oh, it's structured like this, and it's like this, and I know how to compile. Mm-hmm. And so I just, like, did it. And I was using, and I know enough of Node to get NPM running. And mm-hmm. I was using NPM, and I know enough of, I mean, this is from my, IT background, but I know enough of it to use the command line. And so, you know, learning those base skills, somebody who's using a library isn't necessarily ahead of you mm-hmm. because, and, and this is something else I think that we learned in school that was, that's really important. And you might have a comment on this is somebody might seem like a, like they're way ahead of you in a field or in a certain, um, a certain subject or a certain project type, but yes, they might be, but they're only ahead in that. They they only know really well what they're doing. We've asked teachers who, you know, were experts in like, let's say programming, be like, hey, 
how the heck would I do this? And you show them maybe like a side project you're working on and they're like, I don't know. But yet they're like a pure expert in, you know, whatever they're teaching you because they've, they've mastered that in, in most cases, but they don't know, you know, what crazy function you're doing. They don't know what microcontroller in our case we're using. So I think that that's important is you shouldn't, you shouldn't compare yourself to somebody else's skill level because you probably know something that they don't mm-hmm. like, like you, you know, at a hundred percent, they know it at like 20%, you know? Yeah. So, and I just want, I just want to add to that actually. Um, another thing is like, we're talking about frameworks now and how it's great to learn frameworks, but, uh, like people say, and like we said initially, like there's just so many and there's so many conversations going on about how this framework is dying. Like right now you can, you can look it up and see that, Oh, react is dying. It's, I mean, like it might be dying, whatever, but the the point I'm trying to make is learning JavaScript when you're learning web development is a way to future proof yourself. Definitely. Uh, because JavaScript's not dying. All these frameworks are built on JavaScript. JavaScript's not going anywhere. It's only going up at, at this point. Um, so knowing how the actual internals of a framework framework work will make you much more adaptable to any environment. So you can go in. You have a. You take a look at the at, at what's available. Oh, Vue is the new the new thing. Okay, well let's go learn Vue. Well, I already know how JavaScript works, so I already know how File Reader works. I already know how all these other extensive extensible libraries work. Uh, why this will take me like a day or two where someone that went to a boot camp and learned uh, just one like specific framework uh, on top of another framework, like someone learned handlebars on top of node. That's it. So just templating on top of node with a little bit of uh, with a little bit of authentication, they're going to have a much harder time going back now and being like, Oh, well now I have to learn view, which is, really to note it, it's quite different like it, it has some similarities but like it's it's like learning a whole new language where with javascript you have a, a common language that all these things use that's a really good point too because i'm actually on a side project right now where um i'm working with somebody who came out of a boot camp and if you're somebody who wants to go into a boot camp um and it and it is a good boot camp you know ratings wise or whatever i mean like that's that's a good way to learn but like Mike said, um, at least in out, like we haven't been to a boot camp, but from what we've seen from people, which is a very small sample size, to be clear, uh, we've seen from those type of people is like they learn something very, very well, and then they kind of have trouble transitioning, which isn't really a problem, right? Because they are still learning, you know, enough that they could tra- do could do a transition. Mm-hmm. But like, if you do learn that base, or if you're, you know, if you're just out of a boot camp right now, maybe you should start looking at the more pure stuff and see, Hey, I'm going to make this, you know, even if it's just a junk site that you're not going to actually use, I'm going to make this, this site, I'm going to, or just call like, you know, I'm going to make a, a, a really complex nav bar and I'm going to do that in pure, pure, you know, HTML, JS and CSS. And I want to, I want to like, you know, really hone in on that. And if you can't do it, maybe that's something that you kind of should invest in because I'm sure whatever they taught you react or handlebars or node or whatever is definitely valuable in the marketplace. But like Mike said, being transferable is also extremely valuable just to yourself. And what if you're, what if the job that you're in, they decide in their next project, they're going to go to something else. You, you might be the guy who transitions so quick that you might, you know, you might be able to stay on the team 
if you or go to the go to the next dev team or whatever however your company structure works mm-hmm. so that's definitely something uh to keep in mind yeah um i think unless you have any other comments about that mike i think i think we should kind of move on to the next the the next topic here uh, segment number four um which is when to choose a pre-made solution or a uh, pre-made tool mm-hmm. and what that what i mean by that in this context in this episode means like when do you when should you use something such as a website builder a service provider of some kind, some sort of software as a service or whatever software you're using, uh, a host rather than hosting it yourself. And there's a bunch of other, um, a bunch of other types in that, in that category. Some main examples that we came up with were Webflow is a good one, Podbean, uh, WordPress, just general templates on template marketplaces, using a CMS or using card, which is another service. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said with the light box, sometimes there's no need to reinvent the wheel and you don't need to go through and remake all the transitions and all this and that, or even make the, like, why make the, the actual plugin yourself when you're like, man, instead of me engineering this, I'm going to probably engineer it pretty close to what that guy has. You know, he's licensing it out. He's giving it away or he's selling it. If I'm okay with using it and I'm allowed to use it in the project and have the right licenses, why not? Right. Sometimes. Um, and so that's, that's one thing that's really, really key. And another thing to keep in mind is using a tool like this, especially a pre-made solution, which is often consumerized to people who do not know how to program at all. Typically they get you running much, much faster than even for a developer. Like even if you're a dev, you have to still engineer the solution. Whereas, you know, whether you're a consumer or a developer, getting a website builder is such a quick thing. And so... Like if you really want, like, so I'll, I'll give like a more specific example, I think, to sort of like, uh, to tie this down. So if you want to replace UI creation, so like, let's say you, you're a backend guy, you don't know front end that well, and you really don't want to learn it for whatever reason, or the project is coming up really soon. So things you could use things like, like, let's say Webflow, which Webflow is sort of the middle ground. It still requires development, but it's like a visual code editor is what I would personally call it. And, and you, and it has like other options in there too. Like they can, they can host your site. You, they, you can add a CMS, et cetera, et cetera. So like they can kind of help you with these pre-made solutions with, you know, some of your own engineering in there. And they have a template marketplace as well. WordPress is sort of the same thing. So if you already have a host or you already have, you know, a reseller account or a place to put the site and you really need a blogging platform, uh, you really want themes, so like you know the visual aspect there, or you need one of the very powerful plugins that come with with uh, WordPress. Then you know that might be something for you instead of you sitting there in PHP or God knows what trying to make your own CMS, or you know making a Bootstrap uh, site and then having to plug in a CMS to it. If you need all those things, really, why not use WordPress? Maybe there's a, maybe there is a reason you can't. But, you know, this is what I mean is it's a balancing. It's a, it's a bit of a game. It's like, oh, yeah, I can use that. That fulfills all my objectives. Mm-hmm. Podbean. Podbean support – or uh, not, doesn't support, but they, they uh, host this podcast. We pay for the service. And, um, and they offer they, – they host our podcast. Uh, they give us, like, the, uh, the proper RSS feed. And, you know, we can give that to various uh, podcast apps. But one thing that's really key about all these podcast apps is that is – that, or in this service, I mean, like Podbean service, is that you can 
have they give you a website so I can go in and I can just choose a template as to what my website looks like and you guys can see that if you go to podcast.podbean or sorry podcast.htmlallthethings.com you can actually just go right to our podcast website and we've you know we pay for podbean to host that for us and that's like that's a pre-made solution that allows us to get our podcast out there they kind of deal with it we just we just make the show and they deal with all the rest of it um, same uh, templates is another good way too. So if you're just trying to cut a corner, maybe you want a pre-made solution. Like somebody wants a, a news site or a blog site or a, a, a media outlet of some kind. A lot of them look the same. A lot of them look pretty similar. So you can, instead of you, and they're pretty flashy, right? So they take a, quite a bit of development work, transitions mm-hmm. and the whole bit. You could just go to a template marketplace, go there with your client potentially, uh, and just, Say, hey, like you do, which ones do you like? And maybe he'll choose one. You could buy that and customize it to their needs. And so you've cut off a piece of the work. And that's like a pre-made solution that's there for you. And then card, which is spelled C-A-R-R-D for the record. And I'll have the link in the show notes or description. Is a single page site builder that has a free and a paid option. And that's something that you could use really easily if you're if you want a coming soon page or maybe you have your portfolio hosted on something like dribble or you have you know maybe you just want a front end for your videos on youtube or something you know and you just need a real quick one pager there you go and that's a real quick solution just like what we did with podbean with our i'm not going to go and develop a whole a whole website we know how to do it but i'm not going to go develop a whole website for our podcast when i could have everything all in one right uh, and, and so we use it too. So like, you know, if you, if you can use a pre-made solution or if you are not skilled in programming and you need one of these solutions, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Because at the end of the day, your, your client isn't going to care. They're not going to go and look as long as all their goals are met. They're not going to go and look and be like, oh my God, you use like this old framework. You know, if their site is working, all their objectives are met. And, you know, you, you've put everything together the way that they want. Most clients are non-technical and there's no reason why they would jump in and be like, oh my God, you're using this function. You know, no, no one's going to do that. And, and to add to that, most of our smaller business clients will come up and say, hey, I don't want you guys to reinvent the wheel. Can we just get a template up and running and you guys can just edit that template because we only have, you know, a certain amount of money. We don't want to pay you guys to do the actual design work. And we're like, well, Sure. That's quick for us. We get some money and uh, the, the guy that made the template provides a service. That that kind of stuff is fine. Now, there's plenty of different uh, clients that we that have come to us and been like, we need you to design a web page from scratch. Totally different story. And we we treat that as a completely different kind of project. But regardless, like we, we're upfront with our clients and our clients are upfront with us with what they need. And that communication back and forth will take you into a place where you can decide what service you want to use what if you want to use a a wordpress kind of service or you want to make your own from scratch um i think uh one one of the clients that i'm working for right now uh they decided to go against using a cms service like uh, wordpress or couch or anything they they rolled one their own but they have a very specific device to device solution so it made sense for them to go in and pay for that development cost to make your own CMS because they would have to pay the exact same amount or even more and have to deal with even more headaches to actually manipulate a CMS that already exists to do what they want. So it's all case by case, client by client basis. And I think it's very important to know 
that one solution does not fit all and how to choose which solution fits which one. And unfortunately, the only way to really know that is to by doing it and making mistakes and doing it again and then doing a little bit better, choosing the right one thing here, choosing the wrong thing here, and then manipulating it to work. That's the only way to learn. Like there's no one shoe fits all kind of approach to this. But uh, one thing I would definitely recommend is getting the requirements nailed down for each site before you choose any solution and then going and being upfront with the client being like, this is what I'm going to be choosing. This is why it costs more. This is why it costs less, that kind of stuff. I think, I think that's really important, really important mm-hmm. to know or to, to, to note as well as one thing that you mentioned there where you said that you said like, you know, you have to just kind of do it. I think one way to, to sort of combat that, especially if you're a beginner is really get the client's objectives nailed down. So if you're looking at using, you know, one of these pre-built solutions, or maybe you're using like a hybrid where you're going to have a pre-built solution for one of the objectives or whatever, make Mm -hmm. sure that you have the objectives nailed down because you were mentioning the CMS and they had to make a dynamic one or make their own Mm -hmm. custom one. Mm -hmm. It is, it is like, seriously, in most cases, it is serious pain to manipulate what somebody else has done. And if, and if you see something and you're like, oh, I'll just have to manipulate like 30 out of the 40 things there. It's like, (laughs) no, 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 no. That's going to take you probably longer, you know, just for those 10 things. Again, risk analysis, or maybe not risk analysis, but like do your analysis in your project and see what goals, because every project is different. Mm -hmm. But like changing what somebody else has made to be relatively static or be generalized, like a lot of templates are very generalized. So that's, they're kind of harder to manipulate in most cases. That is something that, you know, you just be aware that it can be a real pain to manipulate what somebody else has made. Mm-hmm. Especially if, if like they say, oh, it's customizable and the customizability that they have doesn't include what you need to change. Yeah. You know, it is just a, just a, a word of warning that it is, it is a serious pain to do that. Well, I mean, if you remember the first thing that we had to change in that, uh, in that template that we bought for the larger initial client uh was the nav bar and that that i think that bred your hate or love of nav bars i don't even i think it's a hate love relationship that you have I probably i probably should have mentioned that at the beginning that that's probably what set me on that path yeah yeah there was just like there was a good probably 15 to 20 hours of you working on a nav bar because the nav bar that they provided did not meet the the requirements of the client and to put a new nav bar into a already generated static site a template is um at least for a beginner it, i would say that's a pretty big undertaking well we had a we had a serious problem where and i mean this is years ago now so uh, i don't remember it perfectly but i remember that i do remember that there was a a breakpoint problem because we didn't really understand breakpoints and we were we were flipping through it and they and i believe that they wanted to add more pages so we we're like okay yeah yeah that makes sense We'll copy and paste the buttons that are on the nav bar and we'll add whatever buttons. And then it got to the point where it was like, this, this damn thing is going to like, fo- like flow over mm-hmm. and it's not going to turn into a hamburger menu or a Navicon. It's not going to turn into a Navicon mobile menu early yeah. enough. So it was like, how do we change this? But if we change it now, it's going to change everything on the site. Mm-hmm. So now what do we do? And as a beginner, you're like, I don't know. So we were like changing font sizes and trying to make like hover effects and make them like inline blocks so they would stack so the nav bar was extra tall. And I don't remember what the actual end solution was, but it was a disaster. Like like put plainly, it was a disaster for us. Uh, good learning experience though, because I was like, okay, that's it. I got to learn nav bars clearly. 
Well, yeah, we had we had very limited time. Like the the reason that they signed with us was because we said, "Oh, we we'll do this in a month." Yeah, yeah. Well, then there if was not, a lot of late nights no, doing that. <laughs> the, the first version of the site was actually up in like two weeks, I believe. So it's a fifteen-page site with like there's there was some documentation there that was exceeding like fifteen to twenty pages of text. It's it's really it's really like confusing to me when um how do i how do i describe this it's really confusing to me when you you purchase you get a you get like a template up and running and then and like like a client will let's say a client chooses a a template and then they need to like change a bunch of it Mm -hmm. so that's one thing that i want to like kind of touch on is i said like you know you know do your risk analysis and get your client objectives nailed down but a client will change their change their objectives and that's not that, that's not necessarily their fault, you know. They mm-hmm. maybe their maybe their clients change their objectives, and and you know you have to be dynamic. So one thing that I do want to mention is like we did use, and this kind of did did just did this did <laughs> this did save us in this case is using using Couch CMS for example is mm-hmm. sort of like a um, a static website CMS if you will, and. That's one thing that you can use in in a rough situation where the objective changes. So a, a common objective that changes is, oh, we want a static site. And then t- the next day, you know, every week or whatever, they call you. Oh, I need to update this and update this. Eventually, their objective changes and they're like, okay, okay, okay. I don't want to call you because you're busy and then you're going to take like, you know, a week or something to upload, update it. So how do I just like do it myself? And sometimes it's one of those things where it's like you're ch- they're changing something complex and you know they shouldn't be changing it ever and you need to have that discussion but mm-hmm. then you could use something like couch cms where you're like okay i can now plug in this and couch cms is a ready-made or pre-made solution that you're tacking onto a website whether that be a pre-made one or whether that whether the one that you made and as long as everything's compatible you could tack that on mm-hmm. so that's something that you should keep in mind is you should try to always look for um common common changes and make sure that you are dynamic enough to change yourself. So you don't let, I think I've mentioned this before, you do not want to lock down a static site so much to the point where if there's even an inkling of chance that they want to make it dynamic in the future, that you can't do it because then you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Then you got to migrate stuff or do whatever you need to do. And that's a big mess. Yeah. So that's one yeah. thing I did want to mention there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, the the couch really saved us in that situation. I think there's plenty of situations like that um, where not only couch, but other functionality, other services will come to play. So when you when you get into a situation, you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Look up the problem. So for us, it was how do we convert a static site into a CMS without having to change everything? Googling that gave us a bunch of solutions. We chose the best one based on the the requirements and we 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 rolled that out but many solutions are going to be like that so don't don't be afraid when stuff changes just see if there's a solution out there and potentially that could be more profit for you like for us we 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 made more money this way um than we would have if we just kept it a static site so there's there's always positives and negatives about change um treat change not as something to be afraid of, but as something to learn from. And checking goals off on a customer's, you know, to-do list is like a, big, a good way to get called back as well. Yes. You know, so anything that you can do, um, you know, whether it be quick or not, I mean, quicker is usually better, but like, I mean, sometimes things can't be quick 
and you got to tell people that. But that's, you know, checking something off on their to-do list instead of saying, like, no, this isn't possible mm-hmm. is a good way to do it. And, again, to be clear, sometimes it is impossible. So always do that analysis and say, like, is this possible? Do I have to tell, do I have to tell the client no? Or, you know, do that, do the, the check and be like, hey, there is a solution. You know, I Googled the solution. I think I can implement this. Mm-hmm. Let's give this a go in a test server and then say to the client, hey, I can do this. And there's a check on their, you know, their to-do list. And then that's going to make them happy. So yeah. always, always be watching out in the mm-hmm. marketplace for something. Yeah. Un- under promise, over deliver. And uh, clients will always be happy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But- um, I think that should we be, should we transition to our, our brand new, it's going to be our weekly segment or do you have any other comments specifically about pre-made solutions that you want to mention? No, I think we should just go on to web news. So we're going to hopefully make a better name for this. Um, but what it is, so this is our fifth segment and what we're going to try to do is every week or every time, every episode, I should say, we're going to have something called at this time web news. And it's going to be a little segment where one of us, and we're going to try to do alternating. Somebody does something whether it be, you know, a really topical news source or something that's really topical to us. So, you know, something that keeps popping up in the news and in in like, you know, a new framework or something that's like very mm-hmm. topical. Or maybe like I'm just like hitting the ground hard with like a new, I don't know, WordPress plugin. And I really want to talk about it. This is kind of where we'll kind of like, you know, gab on about, you know, this is this is what we're doing. And we're going to kind of kind of editorialize it, I guess, into this. And I want to have an intro segment. Uh, for this, <laughs> I wanted to make like an actual news segment thing. Dun, dun, dun. So, yeah, dun, dun, dun. and then like the headline with the little like beeps. The dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we're going to see if we can produce this up. I don't, I'm not promising anything. But, no, you're so, promising it. It sounds like you're promising it. Uh, I'm not. Every, I, everyone's waiting for this. If we I already, don't have I already it, signed the contract. <laughs> yeah, unsubscribe if, uh, if you don't hear it in the next three weeks. <laughs> I, I I used to say that on uh, on my other on my other YouTube channel. If I like lost, I'd be like, please unsubscribe now, so you can like avoid the embarrassment. Yep. But uh, but yeah, okay. So this week right. we'll have uh, we'll have Mike, and uh, we'll I'll let him introduce his tech news or web news topic. Okay, so um, my web news topic is not so much web, unfortunately, but it does tie. <laughs> it's okay because it will save you some time, maybe in the future. So uh, everyone knows React Native, or most people probably know what React Native is. It's a way of developing and writing code for both uh, iOS and Android. One code platform, build for both. It's a great way of doing that. Now, React Native uh, has its negatives and its positives. Um, It's a little bit complicated to get up with, in my opinion. I I tried to use it for one of my projects, and I wasn't a particular fan of that solution. So when I heard about Flutter... And this is a new Google framework for doing kind of the same thing where you develop one code pay, one code base and build for both iOS and Android. Uh, now, note, iOS, you have to have a Mac to be able to build anything on iOS. Even if you build in these uh, frameworks, even React Native, even if you build in that, you can't build a iOS app on a uh, computer. So, On a PC, just, you mean? Yeah, on a, yeah, on a PC, sorry. So... Um, Make sure you know that going into any sort of iOS development, as we learned also about that, we had to get a Mac, unfortunately. Oh, uh, come on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a little bit of a tech. Hey, I've been using this Mac for a good year now. Um, it's okay. I don't know. Uh, like, and, and we should we should clear that up with 
we're both Windows boys. We've been using Windows literally our entire lives, so obviously yeah. we're biased. This is a, yeah, extreme bias, and I'm okay with being biased in these kinds of situations. Like, so, yeah, not not a big fan of the Macs, but understand that they are needed and are used in this in this industry quite often. So, Flutter, uh, great great language. Uh, it uses Dart, which is Google's actually internal coding language that they were developing and eventually repurposed for Flutter. Uh, so it has both Cupertino, which is the iOS design framework and the material design 2.0 framework from Google. So you can actually build apps where it'll automatically detect that you're using an iOS device and switch your entire UI into Cupertino, uh, which is really cool. And all those actual elements like the buttons, the text boxes, they're actually built into this framework. So you don't actually have to build anything out design like element wise. Now you can obviously build a custom, uh, design framework so you don't have to use cupertino or uh or material um i believe some you know some companies want to use their own kind of design language and they they want to stray away from that and that's fine but uh it's great that you can get an app running in no time at all by just using you know generic material button or generic cupertino button and it'll look like a native uh ios or or android app huge huge advantage of flutter in in my opinion also the dart language is actually really similar to javascript in the way it it, you write code it's very a big difference of it is i guess it's very uh, um instance oriented so you write instances you write widgets it's very widget oriented so like each little part on the screen can be its own widget and it updates dynamically which is a react based system as well like if you if you've programmed in react you know that little like every component can be updated dynamic dynamically that's the point of it so that you can make a single page application and have it uh not have to reload the page constantly to update a single number. That's what Dart also uses. It's a very very similar widget-based React uh, re, uh, re- reaction system. So I think if you know React, if you know JavaScript, it'll be a very easy learning curve for you. Like I made, not knowing React very well, but knowing JavaScript pretty well, I made a quick, uh, it was a fitness timer application where I had uh, you know, you, you give yourself multiple sets and you set it, you set how many sets you want, how much time per each set, and it'll vibrate and ding in your ear uh, every time that timer runs out, um, with a graphical indication of what's going on as well. Uh, I made that in maybe like two, two evenings without knowing dart as well, like learning dart from scratch. So I think it's really good and extensible in that way as well. And it's just, I believe just came out into beta 1.0, I think don't quote me on that. It's either beta 1.0. I, I'm pretty sure it's beta 1.0. It's not out fully yet. Um, there's st- it's still missing a few things here and there, but I think it's a great thing to keep an eye on. And I think that would be it for my uh, tech news of the day. I think uh, I, I have one, I guess, question or compare and contrast possibly. Sure. So we in the past have used these type of things and, and, and these sort of uh, programs, I guess, have always been promised where, hey guys, develop once and you know, put it out on two plus platforms and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. One of the ones that we've used and successfully is Cordova, Apache Cordova. Yep. And I've actually even pitched it recently to uh, to a side project uh, of mine. And mm-hmm. they're considering it for uh, at least the introduction of, of our app idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I suppose my question is, what do you know? Um, what would be the benefit or the comparing contrast between what we've done in Apache Cordova versus, you know, maybe doing the same thing in Flutter. 
like what what's the benefit disadvantage of, of of either if you can give me that yeah i can i can actually give you that so uh flutter runs very much closer to the metal okay than cordova cordova has to run through an abstraction layer uh which has to render pretty much a web view for uh running your application which in like i'm a big i'm i'm a big supporter of cordova and i use it in a lot of projects but uh for a regular website or a regular like simple web app with just some static pages and some you know changing information here and there that's fine as soon as you get into any sort of multimedia sliding animations um i would try to stay away from it and try to use something more metal uh, whether it be just straight Android development and iOS development or something like Flutter, which is why I'm excited for Flutter because it actually uses, um, don't fully quote me on this, but I believe it actually renders into o- OpenGL directly. So, Interesting. Yeah, so I believe it renders into OpenGL di- directly instead of going through the abstraction layer of like a web view. And that is similar to how uh, mobile games are made. So mo- mobile game engines will render right into OpenGL, like, uh, and so you could write, you know, in I believe in Unreal or um, what's the other one? I don't know much about a mobile mobile game development, but like th- those gaming engines, they'll actually render into OpenGL, and they'll be able to run on both uh, iOS and Android because of that, and that gives them the best performance on both. And so this actually piggybacks on top of that. And we'll do a 2D renderer inside of OpenGL. So instead of going through an abstraction layer, it'll go right into OpenGL. Again, it's, I don't think it's exactly directly metal, just like an Android or an iOS application, but it's very close to that. And uh, from what I can see, the animations are all 60, 60 hertz, like they're, they're, they're 60 FPS, like they're great. They, everything looks really well. It runs really well, opens really fast. So in like I've seen it already, even with the powerful hardware that I have, that it runs better than a Cordova application. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's that's super interesting because mm-hmm. like we, we we obviously in the last episode we were talking about closer to the metal. Um and to be clear when we say that we don't mean Apple metal. We're talking about literally like close to the actual chip if you will. Yeah. Um like the actual concept. Yeah. Uh so what's in, what's interesting is that what's interesting about that is like that sort of sounds like it it'd be right up our alley. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the one thing I guess to consider, uh, since we're doing such an analysis of different libraries and tools, this episode is one thing that you have to consider is, you know, I could, I can take a, my web development experience and immediately apply it to a Cordova app. And I mm-hmm. have to like sort of change some stuff. Like I can only have one page and I have to sort of make divs that disappear and stuff. But like, that's, that's not a far cry from a website. Yep. Whereas like, you know, learning flutter, it sounds like it would be a further cry, but you did say you picked it up easier. As a back-end guy, I don't know whether, whether I would be able to pick it up as quick, but that that is interesting. Because, um, like, everyone always says, like, like uh, native apps are better. Um, and I don't know whether that maybe, that, maybe that's starting to sink away with the addition of all these, like, kind of cross-platform things. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, did make a, I did make a Cordova app one time, and the guy, like, didn't even know it was a Cordova app. And we, like, sh- we, like shipped it out for... For testing and the guy was like oh this is like running really well and absolutely they had no idea like they were the young guys like yeah that's a web view yeah <laughs> and he's like oh he's like holy shit like i didn't know that 
Yeah, general public won't general public won't know. Um, it, but you can as soon as you start doing larger and more complicated things, uh, you'll you'll start noticing the stutters. And I say you as in the developers. I don't say like a regular user using a Cordova application or not Cordova application will barely be able to tell the difference if at all. So you're definitely right where you can build one code base to build for everything, or you build a. Uh, a separate code base. Like the the advantage of Flutter is that you only have to build one for two, but again, it's not web based. That's the disadvantage. Yeah, like that yeah. like that's 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 interesting where there's still I guess I guess you'd call it a, a divide to an extent. Um in in that can you can you can you explain that in more more in depth to a front end guy? Like how exactly? Like so, what what's your workflow? I guess is what I'm trying to get at. So what what would you say your workflow would be? Like let's let's hypothetically, real easy. Let's say you want an app where every single every single time you tap the screen, a number like it starts at zero and it just goes up. It just goes like one, two, three with every tap. Mm-hmm. What is the what is like the general workflow if I want to start a Flutter app? Like at a uh, high level, obviously. Like not like going in in depth, but. Yeah, so it's it's like you can that that will easily be done with a one one function, one widget. Like it's called they're called widgets in Flutter. So a right. one widget like object. So you pretty much just create a widget which will have the not only the 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 structure of the widget so where it's placed on the page, the button. Right. But what it does as well the code that it performs. So it's linked kind of like together like that instead of having a, you know, CSS in HTML, it's all in one. If okay. that makes more sense for you, so like uh, having it, dis- like showing what it displays, like the actual text that that the button will display, like plus one or something like that. Then having the styling of the button, like you're, you've chosen a material button, then having the width of that button, all in one object, and then under that having also a function that it performs, like one, like uh, like you know the variable plus one. Right. And then, so you would have that and you can link these, you can link the widgets obviously using variables. So you can have another widget that will just display what that button does. Okay. Okay. I got you. And then again, it's all in one file, which is kind of cool. And that's how I kept mine. So I don't know the extensibility of if, like, if you make a massive application, how many files it would be. But I, I really enjoyed the fact that I could quickly make it, make a fully functioning application in one file, having all the styling and all of the uh, code right in each object, right in each, like the thing that I'm designing has all the code and the styling. Oh, okay. I, uh, all right. And then like, how would you, okay. So for example, like, okay, you, you, you make that, you make your widgets and everything, you're done. Mm-hmm. And like, let's say, so let's say you want to uh, put it on, put it on your iPhone and on your Android. What, mm-hmm. what, what, what's the, like, what do you, what do you have to do? Do you have to compile it twice? Do you, like, what do you have to do? So, uh, Visual Studio Code, which is the editor that I use, has a built-in Flutter, uh, or actually an extension that you can add for Flutter. So once you add that extension, you can build right from Visual Studio Code editor, right to either an emulator or your device. So you just have to enter a command, run Flutter, Right, uh, I believe that's the command actually, and then uh, it'll automatically like, op- like download it to your device that's connected through ADB, and install it on your device, and you can edit it there. And it it, it supports um, hot reload, so which means that you can quickly edit something and then just you know press press play, and it'll 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 keep state the same as well, which is kind of cool. So let's say you're like you know three steps into an application and something goes wrong. 
it'll get that widget will tell you what's going wrong. You fix the widget, it'll go back up and it'll stay the same. Like the state will stay the same. It'll stay like you just like went three times into the application, like three actions. That's that sounds like it's super helpful because we've definitely had our, our fair share of problem where we'll build like an a like a, a Cordova interface and like God mm. knows whether there's a better way to do this. But we'll have like let's say we'll change the pop up that shows up in the settings menu. Mm. Well, it doesn't sound like much to like, you know, boot up the app, press the overflow button, go down the like, you know, scroll down to the right setting, click it and have the thing pop up. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing that, like it like let's say you're having trouble with it and you're not sure how to fix it. And you're constantly tweaking it to get it to work right, mm-hmm. or maybe look right. Maybe you're just like changing the look. It's a real pain to be like, "Okay, recompile, put it on the device. Now check it again. Yeah. Okay, do it again. Check it again." So, it, I mean, in in a in an application that has several steps, that sounds like it'd be really really useful. Yeah, for sure. For development, I I only have positive things to say about Flutter so far. Um, the only, I, I mean, the only negative I would say is that there's just not a ton of documentation yet. Uh, there is quite a bit, but it's not that prevalent because it's a newer. It is a newer framework. It just got out of got out of alpha, so it's it's getting there. But um, I, I I think good things are in the future for it. There, there you have it. Yeah, I'll add some links actually to the show notes, so cool. uh, you can take a look for yourself and maybe it'll be like a YouTube video and another podcast or something like that, but I'll, I'll add some uh, more information about it. And it kind of sounds like something where we might end up doing an episode about like just, this came to mind, but about cross platform stuff like that. Like maybe I'll do a Cordova a thing and you can do a flutter thing. We can kind of, you know, compare and contrast on the show or something. Uh, for sure. Just yeah. as an idea. That'd mm-hmm. be kind of a cool episode. That, I think. Yeah. Do the same project in both. That'd be yeah. Cool. Yeah. And just kind of see. And then, like, we could have uh, maybe some other content around that. But just talk, spitballing ideas. Mm-hmm. Like this episode, if you like that idea. <laughs> I'll always be plugging. Or what, what, is, that, is that what they say, always be plugging? Is that what the kids say? I don't know. I don't know any kids that say that. So always I be. I think it's only you. No, I've, I've heard it on other podcasts. It's like, always be something. And it's always like, it's supposed to be like you're always advertising yeah. yourself. But they have, a, they have a catchy word for it. Yeah. It shows how hip we are. <laughs> um... You think right. we're ready to move on to the conclusion of the episode? The yeah, episode. I think we should wrap it up. It's over an hour now, so the, the <laughs> hopefully closing, everyone's the... still with us. <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully if you got to this point. Um, so a couple of things we just want to touch on, because we did cover so much this episode, is that one of the best things that we find that you can do is just dive into a project. Don't sit there, you know, read your news, read your reddits, and be like, oh my god, do I use Ruby on Rails? Do I use Flutter? Do I use Cordova? Do I use HTML? Do I... Do I do something else? Do I use React? Like, don't freak out. You know, do your preliminary research. Get your objectives lined up, whether it be for your own project or in a client's, and then determine what you want to use and just use it. There will always be another X amount of solutions for your problem. But as long as yours solves your problem, then you've then you've done your job. And that's really all that matters. So that's one thing that we definitely wanted to kind of let you guys know. Um, and it's also okay to not necessarily be using the best tool for the job. Using the best tool for the job is obviously the ideal case, but you, you know, that's not always something that you can, you can do, or maybe like you chose the best tool for the job and a new tool that was better for the job came out later. And there's really nothing you can do about that. Yep. So, you know, that's, that's one thing to definitely keep in mind. Uh, and, and, you know, just don't freak out, just keep trucking along and hopefully, you know, your project works out. Hopefully your research was good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember that 
a lot, and we've mentioned this before, a lot of clients are indeed non-technical, and they don't care if you've used the latest version of this, or they don't care if you've used the best function of this. As long as their objectives are met, and their data or whatever is safe, or whatever your objective is, as long as those objectives are done correctly and are completed, they don't really care. They're not going to care. And in the future, I'm sure that their application will be updated anyway at some point. There's always a refresh for websites or apps or whatever, what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have anything to add to those closing notes, Mike? Uh, no, I think you summed it up pretty good. Alrighty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you got to this point in the show, make sure you subscribe on the platform that you're listening on. Uh, hopefully we'll be on the Apple iTunes shortly. Uh, you can also follow us on all the social media stuff because we do have a bunch of templates and other content that will be coming out soon you can catch us on twitter at html everything you can also catch us on instagram facebook and medium via html all the things and remember that html all the things.com is coming soon the podcast website of course if you just want a direct link to it is podcast.html all the things.com now we're hoping like i said in the previous episode to do a bi-weekly or an every other week schedule um, and I don't know whether we're going to be upkeeping that. I think the first two episodes may release a little bit closer mm-hmm. to each other than that. But generally speaking, we're planning on doing uh, every other week. And then as we kind of go on, we'll probably choose a day and then possibly even a day at a time. So you can kind of expect it and, you know, kind of get ready for it and subscribe if you, if you want to get on there. So we're trying to get on new platforms all the time. Thanks for listening this far. And that's all we have to say for episode number two. Thank you, everyone. Signing off. <laughs>